The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, Henry Kissinger once said that power was the ultimate aphrodisiac. And we don't have to look very far in the news to see what he was talking about. But he forgot to tell us why. Why is power so sexy? Why is it that both men and women are so attracted to power? In order to answer that question, we're going to have to ask another. What is power? What does it mean to have power? If we knew that, we might know why it's so sexy. Or is it all just illusion? Indeed, it is, very, it is in its very sexiness an illusion, and quite elusive of that. And what about powerlessness? Does it have its own powerful draw? Well, today we're going to talk about power in every aspect of its meaning, from powerlessness to power and from power to empowerment. So you don't want to be here for this. You don't want to miss knowing what makes power so sexy. So let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, you know, we've known some famous characters throughout time. John F. Kennedy was one who had that charismatic power to uh, draw us all in, make us all know that he had our best interests at heart, and yet he also had that charismatic power to sleep with lots of different women. And, um, you know, uh, all the whole time he was cheating on his beautiful wife, who we also loved. Um, and uh, if you lived during that time, you know about that. We know about Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky if you lived more recently and paid attention to the news. Or, you know, we don't have to go very far today to hear about powerful figures who are making um, statements that are outrageously uh, politically incorrect. And we also hear about them maintaining their power in spite of it. The uh, The leaders who tell us what to do seem to have all the power. So in order to talk about power, we're going to have to understand what's going on with power. And one of the best ways to do that is to look at power in its most negative uh, manifestations. So let's talk about Adolf Hitler for just a few minutes, if you want to. Um, Adolf Hitler was a man, a little man at that, and uh, a man who had some dubious um, psychological backpinnings to his uh, to his front story, and he uh, was able to lead the nation and even take over parts of the world. He was able to surreptitiously create a horrible holocaust for millions of Jews and, and um, other folks of different faiths, different sexualities, um, and uh, uh, just anybody that Hitler really didn't like. So... How was he able to do that? 
I mean, why didn't somebody stop him? What what was it that made people stand in awe of him when he was literally frothing at the mouth and cursing in the middle of his speeches? What was it that made this little man so powerful? Well, we can look at lots of different things, but one of the things we have to consider is that power is not just in the powerful man, but it's in the power we give to the powerful man, or the powerful woman for that matter. In this particular case, it happened to be a man. Uh, very rarely has it been a woman. Uh, we can look back at history and look at people like uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, the First, who had maintained, had and maintained significant international power, and uh, and was able to, uh, you know, convince the world of that. And she was. From what we understand, if you read about her, she was quite confident and uh, quite assertive and quite certain that she was right. And sometimes she was and sometimes she wasn't. But she was able to hold that power. Um, in the case of Hitler, Hitler entered a, 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 the stage at a time in history when uh, World War I had just ended. And German had been, uh, because of the Treaty of Versailles, had been had been. Um, strapped with a lot of payback. Pay they had to pay back a lot of money um, to others, and, and they were really uh, shamed, so to speak, in, in terms of the na- international uh, image that Germany now had. It now had an image of, uh, of downtrodden and to be ashamed of themselves and that kind of thing. And the whole, the whole nation seems to have... Um, taken on that shame and 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 begun to think of themselves in shameful ways, and then you add to that the fact that because they had to pay back all this money because of the treaty, the economy was just really very unstable, and there were riots in the streets, and there were uh, there was a lot. Every different corner had a different political persuasion. Um, on it, uh, shouting out its its uh, per- political persuasion. So uh, it was a time of great upheaval uh, for the German people. And here comes this little guy who says, "Look, we know who to blame for this. It's the Jews. You know, they they betrayed us. They shouldn't have um, they shouldn't have left us stranded at uh, at the front." like they did, which they were being accused of, but actually was not true. Um, And so he just said, we know who to blame. And knowing who to blame is a big, big deal in terms of power. So one of the things we do uh, in a very unhealthy way, but one of the things we do as a a, um, way of attempting to solve problems is we try to figure out who to blame. Um, In the Gulf Gulf, crisis, Spill the oil spill in the Gulf a couple of years ago. I was profoundly amazed at how many uh, times we talked in the media about whose fault it was, and how few times we talked about what we were going to do about it. And I, I got to thinking about that and started looking back over other media events and, and looking at how we handle those. And true to form, what came out was that we we tend to look first for who to blame, and way second for as to what we're going to do about it. We first have to know who to blame. I guess then that person has got to be responsible for what we're going to do about it. That whole process takes a lot of time and energy away from the, prob- the, solve- the, the solution to the problem. So 
so when you figure out who to blame, you automatically get the attention of lots of people because then you're on the way to solving the problem, or at least that's how we think about it. So that's what uh, Hitler did first, was he, he, he loudly acclaimed through Mein Kampf and his various speeches who was to blame for the problem in Germany. And once the people believed him, well, then it was like, okay, now we, we've got a leader who's taught, shown us who to blame. And the second thing he did was he pumped up the egos of the people. He said, we are a superior race, and we should be able to uh, implement that in the world. And he at first did that rather subtly, and then began to declare it in a louder and louder form. This was also during the time when people were thinking about genetics in terms of how to create the perfect child. So uh, that was a, that was an issue during that period, historical period, and um, there were a lot of people thinking in those terms, uh, genetics instead of uh, psycho- psychology. And so you put all those things together, and you sort of have the perfect storm for a leader that uh, would come forth and say, "I'm going to take away your shame. I'm going to make you a superior race. I'm going to solve your financial problems because I know who to blame." And um, that's what he did. And that's why the people believed him, because they needed so desperately to have somebody who would say, you have nothing to be ashamed of. You are actually not, not only unworthy of the shame that's been cast upon you, but you are superior to other people. So one of the one of the things that helps us most, or we think helps us most, when we are when we carry a lot of shame, is for somebody to come along and flatter us. Flattery only works with people who uh, believe that they're unworthy. Flattery doesn't work with people who don't who already know that their worthiness doesn't come from their image. It comes from much something much deeper. So in terms of the power that was given to Hitler. What we have to know is he said the right things to a people who was desperately in need who were desperately in need of hearing the right things. Of course, they were the wrong things, but to them it seemed they were the right things, and he was thereby given the mantle of power in the nation and Once he took over, everybody just continued to believe him and who would believe that unless they saw it for themselves, who would believe that People were being gunned down uh, and left in troughs. Um, who would believe that, that? That people were being carted off in railroad trains to starvation camps. Who would believe that? And yet the people who were actually involved in doing that saw it and allowed it to continue to happen. Why? Because by now he already had the power. So what we've also discovered now, separating that out from, from what we, what some more recent scientific experiments, and some of them have been questioned ethic for, regarding their ethics. But nonetheless, there was a, a scientific, a pretty famous scientific experience, experiment where um, people were told to press a button that was going to shock somebody in the other room and that they had to keep doing that, um, and they did it. They did it again and again and again because they were told they had to. <laughs> and they just believed that's what they had to do. Um, now, you would, the, the tests seem to indicate that these people were follower types. Uh, but how many millions of those does it take to ruin a world? So 
when we think in terms of of power, we also have to think in terms of who's giving who the power. So if a whole nation gives somebody their power, then that person has all the power. But if a whole nation says, well, we're going to put you in office, but we're going to watch and see what you do, and we're going to let you know when we disagree, that's a whole different ballgame. So, uh, you know, we, we talk about power as if it has a reality to it, as if once somebody is in office or performing a certain job as like the president or the, uh, the boss of an organization, a CEO of an organization, we believe that they just have the power because of their position. But that's not true. They don't have the power because of their position. They have the power because we gave it to them. And that's the only reason they have the power. And, but people, when we, once we've begun to believe that somebody has the power based upon their position, then people want to get close to that position because they want some of that power to rub off on them so they can have some power. And it's generally speaking the people who feel the most powerless who seek out the most powerful. So um, why do we have icons of, of celebrity today why are why do we put people up on a pedestal and then uh try to tear them down with all this gossip and 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 uh, read about all the horrible things they're doing to each other and themselves in these rags why do we do that because we want them to have all the power but we really don't want them to have all the power we want them to have all the beauty and the power to earn money and the you know the prestige and honor and all that stuff that comes with being a star but we don't want them to really take it to the extreme because if they do, then that makes us feel small and inadequate. So we're in a process of discovering what power is and what it isn't. And so we're going to push that envelope a little bit more today as we talk um, because what we're going to discover is that power, the entirety of power, is all perceptual so you don't have any power over me unless I give it to you. Uh, if President Obama walked in this room right now and said, Andrea, you got to stop talking on that radio show. You're making me nervous. <laughs> I, would, I can do whatever I want with that. Now, I'm going to have to look at the consequences, the potential consequences, before I make my decision. But that happens very quickly in our heads. And depending on where we are in our psychology and the circumstances in which we believe uh, – in which we believe, meaning those circumstances have power, um, we we will make a, a decision A or B. Either we will go along with President Obama when he walks in the room and tells me to get off the radio station, or we won't. And if I say, "No, wait a minute, you're you're interfering with my freedom of speech," I, I declare the First Amendment. So, uh, you know, come on, you can't do this. Then at least he has an argument on his hands. And at least, you know, that argument would be made public because here we are on the radio. So um, if if I choose to say, oh, well, he's the man with the power, he's the president, I should just do what he says, then I have given him my power of choice. So that that is what power really is. We have an illusion about power that power has to do with position. It has nothing whatsoever to do with position. Power has only to do with choice. Choice is the ultimate power. But choice, unfortunately, is not the ultimate aphrodisiac. 
were it, we would have uh, a much sexier world than we have right now. Because um, if we if if choice was hot, if people who made choice were choices, intelligent, conscious, self confident, self authentic, self assured choices. Uh, if that was really sexy, then our world would be a very different place. But that isn't really sexy because that's actually threatening. It threatens the people whose power is based in image, whose power is based in position. Um, and those people don't want, they want to not have to deal with authenticity because they don't know what that is. They don't understand that. And so they'd rather stay with the position and the image, particularly because it's so sexy. It's sexy to them. They look at themselves in their psychological mirrors and they say, wow, aren't I hot? Look at me. I am really hot. I've got this big job. I'm wearing this nice suit, whether it's a male or female suit. I'm, I'm, I'm doing these great things. I am so hot. Uh, and they carry that with them into the office, and they say, okay, I'm hot, so you have to do what I want. Um, and we believe it. And in fact, that's why many of our corporate organizations are so very dysfunctional, is because they are based in a model that says the boss said it, so that's how it has to be. Now, some Fortune 500 companies, in fact, are changing that model drastically and, and having a more roundtable approach in which um, voices from around the table are heard and uh, consensus is attained before decisions are actually implemented. And that is a it's much more effective way of, of uh, managing because what happens is you get a lot of people with variant genius around a table and you can solve problems that can't be solved by one person, particularly one person who's in inflated ego is all about I'm the boss and I say what goes here um, so organizations like the mafia organizations like gangs uh, they're all based on a hierarchical principle of power and uh, the big guy gets the goods and everybody else gets the crumbs under the table and that's the way it is and that's the way it should be and that model is on its way out because as long as people uh, it, as long as people are doing what they're doing right now, which is becoming more conscious, that model, which absolutely uh, grounds itself in, uh, in the fact of our unconsciousness, that model will go away. As long as we continue to be unconscious about power, that model will stay. But where we see things like in this world, um, uh, when we see the powers turn over to the people, when people start getting upset and getting mad and taking over, and, and uh, we've st- seen that in Egypt, we've seen that in Iran, we've seen that in uh, various other uh, Middle Eastern com- countries where the people began to say no. Um, but... We've also seen a great deal of power take over and maintain itself through the unconsciousness of its people. So it depends on unconsciousness to to live. Now, when we think about it that way, it's kind of ugly and not so sexy. But uh, the people who think that that power, that is power of position and power of image, uh, is sexy, don't want to hear that. So I hope you're listening 
and that we begin to see power from a new perspective. We're going to come back in just a minute to talk some more about what we can do with this whole principle of power. So stay tuned for that. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you considered yoga to promote balance in your life? Join host and senior Bikram yoga instructor Jim Callett for Yoga is Life Radio. On this show, we will show you that yoga is for anyone and everyone. Just as air, water, and life is for everyone, so is yoga for everyone. Yoga is totality, equilibrium, union, balance. Yoga is life. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. There are no limits to what you can do. Start a new direction in your life today. Much can be learned from the new children who embody a higher vibration and consciousness. However, the world we live in has not always been understanding of the gifts, differences, and awarenesses that they contribute. Listen for Journey with the New Children, Teens, and Adults, presented by Saturn Three Light Flyers. Each week, hosts Michael and Janice Bordway, along with their son and frequent guest host Tristan Bordway, share the discoveries of parenting and being one of the new children. It's an amazing journey. Join us Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. AIHT offers degrees in interfaith and interspiritual educational programs that enable you to not only find your own authentic spirituality, but to bring your unique gift to the world in service upon graduation. At AIHT, you can get a master's, doctorate, or ministerial bachelor's degree, and the doctoral programs are broken down so that you may get a Ph.D., a doctor of ministry, or in the holistic theology program, a doctor of theology degree. The programs in which you may get these degrees are holistic theology, holistic health, holistic ministries, metaphysics, and parapsychology. Why do we choose such a broad range of courses? Because it is through the pathways of each individual that they find their own authentic pathway to the divine. And these courses offer depth and meaning to your effort to learn. That means that in some coursework, you can start at the introductory level and move all the way to the advanced level as you move through your degrees. For example, in the Holistic Theology program, you can take Judaism 1, 2, and 3 with each level offering a greater depth of understanding. Or in our Parapsychology program, you can take Psychic Skills 1, 2, and 3. 
Those are just a few examples. You can get the whole picture by going to www.aiht.edu, or if you'd like to talk directly to the admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. What's most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your journey to your own authentic spirituality. Utilizing as your text writing teacher spiritual experts from all over the world, the coursework allows students to explore and find their own spiritual experience and path as well as to become credentialed to bring their gift to the world. So AIHT is changing the world one student at a time. Would you like to know more? Go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, that's 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. And today we're talking on the Authentic Living Show about power, sexy, sexy power. And why is it so sexy? Well, one of the things we know, and we've already said, is that sometimes people uh, think that power is so sexy because they want a little piece of it for themselves. Uh, we think we have no choice very often, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But uh, what, we've dis- what we're saying here is that having sex, for example, with a powerful person is tantamount to vampiring that power. If we owned our own power, we would no longer be attracted to powerful persons. We would need to be attracted to them. We would know that they're just people, just like us, who have the same complexes, psycho-spiritual issues, and the same biological, mental, emotional needs as the rest of us. But we don't think of it that way. We think that image and position create power. And so we have created a world in which image and position create power. Our belief systems create our worlds. And so we have created laws and we have created organizations. We have structured our traffic systems. We have uh, principled our hospitals and our uh, daily routines, in fact, around a power principle that says there's a hierarchy. There's a man on top, typically a man, not a woman. There's a man on top. There are people who work for him and do his bidding. There are people who work for them and do their bidding. And there are people who work for them and do their bidding. And anybody who doesn't do the bidding, well, that person gets fired or axed or put in jail or something, depending on the organization and its rules. So that's the world we've created. But it's an illusion. And that's what's scary for us is to think that, uh uh-oh, the true thing is that we really have all the power. Each one of us. Each one of us has total, absolute power over his or her life. Now, what I don't mean by that is that there are no gods. <laughs> I don't mean that, that there aren't things that we would not have invited into our lives. I don't mean that the law of attraction is somehow creating some magic out of our thoughts. I don't mean that. I don't believe that, and I don't mean that. And if you've read my second book, The Law of Attraction, The Soul's Answer to Why It Isn't Working and How It Can, you know I don't believe that. So the idea is that if we own our own power, we become the power principle in our own lives. We become responsible for the choices we make. 
the fact is, to people who have power based in image and power based in position, that idea is very frightening. It's very threatening, and they don't want to hear it, and they don't want me talking about it. I bet today, if they had a choice, they wouldn't want me saying all this. Um, But I don't want to split off into a they-us kind of thinking either. What I do want to do is assert that the power principle in and of itself is not, um, has nothing to do with our humanity or saving ourselves or uh, creating a, a better planet. We tend to think that way, though, because we've set up these hierarchies and we believe that they are the, they are the answer. But what the answer is, is each one of us taking personal responsibility for his or her choices, period, end of subject. That's it. Um, when, when we all begin to do that, what, what will evolve is that we will begin to see that we have much, much, much more power than we ever imagined not only because of that the of the fact that the hierarchies are just structures we build and we can take them down if we want but also in the fact of our divine power that we have power and powers we didn't recognize before because we weren't taking responsibility for any of our power so it's a really funny thing to me when i sit and listen to people talk about politics and how you know well that's just the way it is um, you know, people will end a, conver- a political conversation very often with that statement, that heinous statement, it is what it is. And what they, what they mean by that is, oh, well, it's just how it is and we can't do anything about it. Um, we read about politics being crooked and we, we say that the nice guys can't ever make it in Washington because they're going to eat them up. And um, we... We assert that uh, principled activity that is based in ethical responsibility for our own choices regarding the hunger of the people who live right here in America, the poverty of the people who live right here in America, the hunger and the poverty of people who live in other countries, the, the uh, ill health of people who live right here in America and that of other countries. So we are each and every one responsible for that. But what we want to do is uh, name names like we throw out Obamacare like it's uh, some horrible thing that we spat out of our mouths. Um, or we, we say, well, that's just socialism, and we want to throw that word out there and say, oh, we can't do this. But who is ultimately going to be responsible for the, for the, Ill, the people that are sick in our country? Who is going to do that? And the answer is nobody unless somebody steps up. And Obama stepped up, and I'm frankly one who's glad he did. But this is not a political campaign here that I'm preaching today. This is more about the idea that every one of us as a collective, each one of us as an individual within a collective, is responsible for the well-being of the little old lady who is sick and has no way to get to the hospital and has no money to pay for her hospital bill. We're all responsible for that, not just Obama, not just Obamacare, not just the political regime, not just insurance, not just a hospital. No, we're all, every one of us, responsible for that. Why? Because that person is part of us. Jesus said, if you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. And what he meant by that was, you're one with everybody else, so deal with it. (laughs) 
what he's saying is that we all have the power. He's not just saying, feel guilty now because, you know, there's people dying and it's all your fault. (laughs) What he's saying is, you have the power. One of the things he said when he he was nearing his death was, um, because I go, you have these powers. And greater powers than these do you have. In other words, you have more power than I have. What? We have more power than Jesus? He's another person we have projected all of our power onto. He's the, he's the only son of the living God. That's how we've said it. But actually, not so much. <laughs> he's not the only son. We are all the sons and daughters of the living divine. We are all participants, constituent to the flesh and bone of the divine. We are the flesh and bone of the divine. We are divine beings. And we have all the same powers that he had. So rather than sitting around feeling guilty and or saying, well, those big bad politicians, they ought to be ashamed of themselves, what we could be doing is picking this problem up ourselves and trying to solve it ourselves. So now, what that doesn't mean is, well, you go find somebody who's poverty-stricken and give them, all, give, them, give them all your money. It does mean that each one of us can begin to make decisions on a daily basis and to join with other people to make decisions on a daily basis to eliminate the problems of poverty, ill health, and, uh, and all that comes with poverty, the crime and the, uh, the, attitude, uh, the attitudes, the beliefs in poverty, the, um, the violence, the... Um, fairly constant betrayals that happen in a very, very dysfunctional system because of poverty. So we have that power, and we don't choose to believe that. Why? Well, one, we're lazy. It would be just so much easier to just say, you know, let, let, let Obama handle it. Let the Republicans handle it. Let the Democrats handle it. Let somebody else handle it. i got other things to take care of. Come on. You know, I've got my own ill health. I've got money problems. I've got, you know, my kids clamoring for this and that and the other. And I've got, I've got stuff just like everybody else does. So come on, just leave me alone. I don't have time for this. And that's what most of us think. We're just basically lazy. We just really don't want to have to be bothered with it. But what if we knew... What if we knew that every time we find some way to give to others, we're also giving to ourselves? What if we knew, on the other hand, that every time we give something to ourselves, we're also giving it to another? What if our mind is the only thing that needs to change here? What if our psychology of power is the only thing that needs to change here? So that we begin to understand that... um, Power is, is our own. It belongs to us. It is who we are. We are power itself. Now, I could get into a little uh, bit here about the concept of love. But then love becomes a should. And once it becomes a should, it's not love anymore. It's an obligation. So I don't want to talk about love. Um, I want to talk about the principle of choice where we begin to understand that the little choices we make every single day, the little choices we make every single day to go to the market or stay home, to spend X amount of money instead of X, Y amount of money on a given product, to uh, 
purchase the easiest product instead of researching to find out what the product is that we want that will be better for us to um, to stay on one side of town instead of uh, ever going on the other side of town to what are the choices we are making every day that impact not only ourselves but other people these choices make a difference they don't they make a difference not only for ourselves but for other people what we tend to do rather than owning our own power is we tend to get in a rut of routine that just says okay this is what i do every day i get up at six o'clock in the morning i take a shower i eat my breakfast and i go to work and i work and i then i take a lunch break at 12 noon and then i go back to work and i leave at five o'clock or six o'clock or seven o'clock or eight o'clock depending on how corporately minded i am and i go home and i either kick the cat or the dog or love the cat or the dog or i treat my children and my wife or husband badly uh or or i don't and this is my routine this is what i do and i do that 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 all day every day and i don't think about much of anything else why do we do that? It's almost like a hypnosis. Why are we doing that? We're, we're in this rut that says, I have no power. I have no choice. I just have to do this stuff. And when our kids say, but daddy, I want to go do so-and-so today. Or mommy, I'd like to do so-and-so today. We say, well, I can. I've got to do these other things. We have to. I've got to. I've said it myself to my children. I have to go to work. If I don't go to work, we don't eat. I've said that to my children, and I'm sorry I said it. Uh, not to say that I, don't, I believe that we ought to just all quit work so <laughs> and go hungry, but I am saying that the idea of have to is not really true. The truth is I wanted to go to work. I did. I wanted to go to work. And for a woman, that's a big no-no still. It, archetypally, that idea in a woman's mind is still a big no-no in spite of the fact that we are having some of us very prestigious jobs, very high income jobs, and doing very well. There, um, that we're still in the minority in terms of leadership positions, for sure. Uh, but, but in terms of what we allow ourselves, and so this is just one example. So I'm not going to uh, pick on women's rights in particular. But for just a few minutes, I am going to talk about that. But I'm not going to say that's the whole of what I'm saying. Um, with regard to women, we have a bias against ourselves. We are still arguing about whether or not a woman should have children. We are still arguing about whether or not a woman has the right to wait to get married. We are still arguing about those things that have everything to do with a woman staying home, not going out into the work world, not doing a job she loves, not doing the things that call her to be passionate about life and create other things besides just children. So I had children, and I'm very, very glad that I was a parent. I think that was a huge part of my life, and I was totally delighted with much, much, much of what went on between me and my children because I just loved it. I loved it. Um, but I also love my job, and I also love writing, and I also love a lot of other things. So do I have to uh, settle for less than what I am? Do I have to be less fulfilled than other people who can, you know, do other things with their lives? 
we've looked at men and said, women have looked at men and we have said, they have it all. But they don't either because they've cut off pieces of themselves to maintain some superhero role, some idea of themselves as super strong and capable and provider type and all that stuff. A lot of caricatures get thrown around when it comes to um, this whole thing of who, who's got it all. Nobody has it all. Everybody's splitting themselves in half in some kind of way to maintain some kind of role. What I'm suggesting today is the possibility that power distributed equally among all of us, not because some political power says now you can have the power, but because we say we have the power, that kind of power, what difference would it make in the world? What difference would it make in the world if each one of us chose from a position of power rather than a position of lazy rut or psychological defensiveness or I'm not allowed or I shouldn't have that because other people don't or etc., etc., etc. What difference would it make in the world? I think the entire world would change. I think the entire world would begin to manifest a whole other kind of space for people to live and breathe and be free and be open and receptive to all that life has to offer. I think poverty would go away. I think that it is possible that ultimately if we access our divine power, even death would go away. Yes, I said that out loud. If we access our divine power, even death could go away. Why do I say that? Well, for a couple of reasons. I think that we are here to bring form into its fullest fullest uh, potential, which doesn't necessarily imply that form has to die at, uh, at the end of each particular energetic lifetime. But I also believe uh, what Jesus said about uh, greater powers than these do you have. Greater things than these shall you do is what he said. Um, I also believe that we are divine beings. We are all just as divine as Jesus was. And we haven't yet figured that out. Um, we are just as divine as uh, the Krishna was. We're just as divine as the Buddha was. We're just as divine as Muhammad was. We all have that same thing in us. We just give them the power to formulate our philosophies for us, to form our religions for us, to dictate for us how we should respond, what, how many times a day we should pray, how many offerings we should give, what our tithes should look like. Uh, how we should dress, how we should think, what is sin and what isn't, all of that has been dictated and prescribed for us because we don't believe in our own power. We, we believe only in the power of someone else to make that happen for us. So, okay, what do you believe? Uh, can you implement it? Are you courageous enough to begin to implement your own beliefs? So what's going to happen if you do that? Who, who will allow you to uh, implement your own beliefs? Who's going to do that? Um, so, do you actually need for somebody else to give you that power, or can you take it upon yourself? What's true and what's false about, about the reality of power in your life? Okay, so we're going to come back and answer some of those questions right after the break. Stay tuned for more.
This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. It has been foretold that this is a time of great change in the consciousness of the planet. What is the paradigm shift required to usher in a new reality? Join Avatars Peggy and David as they introduce a new and fresh living spirituality which will stretch you and cause you to question everything you have learned on your spiritual journey. Tune in every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel for The Avatars, ushering in a new beginning. And get ready for a provocative discussion that will challenge many of your most cherished spiritual beliefs. Your path to wellness includes a body, mind, and spirit connection. Listen for Guidance from Above. You are not alone. Featuring your host, Joe Homar. Explore unknown parts of you. Access a vast array of possibilities that await you. Expand your energy field. Keep an open mind. Tune in every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The answers you are seeking are within. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. So we started off the show talking about power as sexy. And uh, what we said was the reason it's so sexy is because we believe so much in the power of position and image. Uh, So thereby, if I project my power onto you, because I believe that you have it because of your position or your image, then I can admire your power from afar and just keep giving it all to you. Or I can try to get in bed with it. If I get in bed with it, most often in secret, then I'll have a secret way of owning my own power without having to take responsibility for it. Neat trick, huh? If it ever gets exposed, then I'll carry that power with me into the external world. And that's another trick. So, here's the deal. If I'm trying to get next to power, I'm trying to own my own power. And I don't know that. What I'm really trying to do is suck it off of you, but... but I can't because it's yours. If Whatever power that's legitimate is actually yours, and whatever power in me is legitimate is actually already mine, I don't need to take it from you. But if I can sort of trick myself into believing that you have it, then being next to you will give it to me. Therefore, what I'm really doing is owning my own power, however temporarily. So that's the games we play with this idea of power. And and it and it's really has a negative impact on our world. So what we've said, what the question we've asked is, what can we do now? What can we do about this thing? Well, here's the thing. What I've discovered is that people are generally speaking threatened by authenticity uh, unless they want it themselves. If they think that you 
are being very truthful and honest with them, they are likely to be threatened if they believe primarily in power as image or position. Because they believe that somebody's going to believe more in your power and take away from them their position or their image, and then they won't have the power anymore. So when people are threatened, they think you're after their chair. Okay, I've got this chair because I'm the CEO of this corporation, and you come in here starting telling me the truth. I think you want my chair. I don't have any notion of the fact that you might not want that or care about that at all. I, you look powerful, so you must want my chair. Do you see how blind we are with that? So you can know that when you start owning your own power, there are going to be some people who are threatened by it. You just have to know that walking in the door. But if you, if you own your own power, then you have so much more peace in your life. So what is it like to own your own power? How does a person begin to do that? They begin by knowing that what goes on inside of them is, a, is to them, for them, about them. It is not about the world. So sorting out the distinctions between what I've introjected from other people that they projected onto me and I've introjected it. Sorting out that means I'm beginning to understand what is actually true inside of me and what is false inside of me. And I'm beginning to say, okay, this is really mine and it's really me and that other stuff is not really mine. It's just stuff that I believed was mine because somebody else said it was so. And so that's the, that's the first step, is beginning to do that inner sorting between what's true and what's actually incorporated from other people uh, about who I am, who I see myself being, what I've identified as, as opposed to who I am as an authentic person. So that's the first step. The next step is to begin to choose according to my inner authenticity, that I don't choose according to externals, but I choose according to my inner authenticity. Now, that scares most of us to death to think about that because we think, oh, well, now what's that going to mean? Am I going to have to go jump off of a cliff financially? Am I going to have to, uh, you know, leave my husband or my wife? Am I going to have to go live in Africa and be a missionary? What, what is this going to create in me? If I have to listen to my insides, I'm scared to death of that. Well, it is also you who has those fears. <laughs> <laughs> and so when we go into battle between you and you, you are going to win and you are going to lose uh, both. So, uh, you know, recognizing the internal conflicts that come from those fears is, is how we deal with that, is to be able to honor both sides of those conflicts. And that means, no, I don't want to go to Africa and be a missionary. I would rather uh, do this other thing that is so passionately calling me, you know, something that I really love doing. Um, perhaps I want to be an artist. Now, we might say, well, that's not giving money to the poor people in the world. How is that choosing to help? Every time I am authentic, I touch everyone else in my world. Every time I am authentic, I touch everyone else in my world. There is no greater power than that. Authenticity is the final power, especially when we choose it over inauthenticity. So if I'm, if I'm choosing to honor my compassion, 
say I, I feel very compassionate about a given individual that I happen to know, and I would like to give that person something, some time, some energy, some presence, some money, some food, something. And I go and I do that. Then I can say, okay, that's fulfilled that compassion in me. Um, that's a calling. That's a calling for my authenticity. If I go do a piece of artwork, that the, and the artwork do, does not have to have anything whatsoever to do with another human being, but it just is a creative endeavor that comes straight up out of my authenticity and lands on the canvas. If I go do that, I am also impacting other people in the exact same way that my compassion did when I went and did something for them. How can that possibly be? Because I am using my power to be real. And realness creates realness. Realness gives everybody in the room the opportunity to get real. It just has that intuitive impact. When, when we're listening to a politician, especially these days when we know that many of them lie to us, when we listen to a politician, what we're looking for and frankly, I believe this is why Obama was elected twice. We're looking for something real. We're looking for something real. We don't. We want to go home and say, this guy is not fooling me. This is the real deal. And we want to be able to see that maintained, maintained, maintained throughout. And so that's actually a, a really good thing that we've begun to look for that. It's a really good thing that the lies have begun to be exposed because there are so many people out there who just want to take a little piece of us so they can have it for themselves. So many manipulators, so many conmen, so many charlatans, even in the spiritual world, who are really not real. They have their own agenda and they're after a little piece of us. But if we get real inside of us, then not only do we offer that to everyone else in, within miles of us, all over the world, in fact, but we also open ourselves to seeing the real in other people better. So that's the benefits. These are the benefits of being more real. So every time you take on yourself, your truest self, and act as if that, ha- that matters, that it is the most important thing uh, there is, is to be real, then you impact the world in the only way that actually you can. And when we think about nature, one of the things that Zen Buddhism does so, uh, so beautifully is it helps us realize how natural nature is and how unnatural some of the things we do are. And the comparison is just jarring when we, when we recognize it. So, so when we think about a tree, for example, what impact does one tree, I have a beautiful oak tree in my backyard, a couple of oak trees in my backyard, and I love to look at them, especially right now because they have a lot of acorns on them. And so what impact is that tree having on the rest of the world? Well, the answer to that is I frankly don't know, <laughs> but I imagine that it is giving its dose of uh, oxygen out into the world so that I can breathe better, so that people in Russia can breathe better, people in China, people in Middle East can breathe better. It's giving its peace to that. And that's what it's doing. And I'm going to give my peace to authenticity 
and I'm going to do what I can with that, and that will be the impact I leave on the world. If I choose to do all the things that are inauthentic, based on position and image, then regardless of how much supposed power I have in the world, I have actually not impacted the world at all. Now, how can I say that? Obviously, Hitler impacted the world, right? Yes, he did. And no, he didn't. What what he did was use the power of a bunch of other people against themselves. And they believed him. But belief is the final arbiter. What do you believe? Where is your power today? What are you doing with it? That's the issue. And it's the only issue. So that's what we got today. We're going to be back again next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific and 4 p.m. Eastern. So be here for that. Uh, And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.